let's think for a moment. I need to, I need to take you back a little bit in history, not in, not in American history, but but uh, Jewish history, where uh, King David um, um, had in his heart to build a very special place, a temple for the glory of God. But yet God clearly directed him that that was not his task. But he put everything in place for that task to be accomplished by his son, Solomon. Um, for the Jewish people, the temple would become uh, an identity point for them. It was, a lot of things were wrapped up in who they were as a people uh, serving God, uh, worshiping God. And, of course, in the wilderness days, they had the tabernacle that they would pick up and move and, and uh, go from place to place. But over the course of time, the worship point uh, became the, tabern the, uh, the temple. And the temple that was built in Second Chronicles, we have the, the details of that, was uh, an amazing, beautiful place, probably um, uh, at, at its zenith in terms of its beauty. If you go to Second Chronicles chapter 7, you'd read, and uh, uh, I'll get, I'll, I need to backtrack a little bit. So let me just read a couple verses from Second Chronicles 7, and then I'll get to the portion I am, uh, want to read that focuses on the message this morning. But uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, beginning of verse 1, says, When Solomon finished praying, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures. Forever. For the Lord is good. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's how it came out, you know, kind of thing, but but that was very much a part of the thing. Um, I don't know if you have ever been in a situation where you sensed the presence of God so much that you just had to shut up and be still before Him. Um, it doesn't happen as often as we would like it maybe it doesn't happen as often as it used to uh, we, we get so busy with other things that we sometimes forget that it's not about the things it's about the glory of God that needs to permeate our hearts and the body of Christ but in this situation after Solomon prays just God shows up and that amazing sense of his presence. When we were going through the mission piece, I found it interesting, the observation was, was stated, that, that the, the last real move of God occurred back in 1980, if I recall, in the Madagascar situation. In, and in the history of the people of Israel, they've had their ups and downs. You, you, if you're at all familiar with that, it seems like there's an ebb and a flow and there are some real high points, and then there are some really, really bad low points 
in the people of God. And and uh, in a book called Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby talks about that and uh, how the uh, history of the people, it just seemed like they got to the end of themselves and then God suddenly begins to stir and move and and shows up in some unusual ways. Maybe it was through the period of the judges or or uh, in the days of the prophets, whatever it might be. They would just try to get people to a higher place before God. Um, now, if we move from Israel, you know, the, the Jewish people to today, we probably experience similar kinds of things than the ups and downs of things. And when you start talking about it in terms of a church level, you can talk about how maybe there were better days for a city like church or whatever church you would be talking about. And then sometimes you just kind of get going and coasting sometimes, and and then the wheels fall off a little bit on the cart, and you, you go down and you say, what's going on? You know, and 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 there becomes there comes that point of awareness of need that unless the glory of the Lord fills the place, you're going through motions. And for every generation, uh, which which is Christianity, someone said, is always one generation from extinction. If we do not succeed in passing on the message of the gospel, and it is not personalized and embraced, we run the risk of dying. I, I went, went by a church the other day. We were, we were down in Pittsburgh, and uh, we are taking some of the family over to our other uh, uh, daughter's uh, uh, home uh, for the celebrations of the day. And we went by uh, went by a church, that cemetery outside of it. The cemetery was bigger than the church. I mean, that's not unusual. And my son-in-law in the back said, it looks like the church is pretty dead too. you know. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. There's no magic in terms of parking a cemetery next to a church, but sometimes churches can die. Uh, and at least certainly can go down to a point where they need to realize their desperation before God. I think that's the danger that Solomon was concerned about here in the story. So let me come now to Second Chronicles 7, now to verse 11. Just read a few verses, and, and then just come back to this whole issue of this move of God that we need. So verse 11 says, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I'm going to read just a couple more verses that may not have it projected. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. 
I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be for may, may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Um, there is a great need in the church, USA, worldwide, today, for that fresh move of God. You cannot live on the stuff that God did for you yesterday. You can reflect back on that. You can be grateful for that. But when we begin to live life by looking in the rearview mirror, we lose track of a lot of things. We lose track of a God who longs to lead us ahead, lead us to the preferred future that he has for us. And so each generation needs to experience that fresh work of God. <clears throat> I mentioned the book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. He also wrote another book, and it's called Fresh Encounter, Fresh Encounter. And in that one, he talks about that need that we have in the church for the new and fresh working and stirring of God. And so as I come to this last Sunday in this new year, or in this year, and before we turn the calendar over or you take the old one down and put a new one up, hopefully you've got the one to do that. Before that happens, I, I want us just to be reminded about the importance and priority of the fresh move of God. And that involves likely in the cycle of things a kind of a spiritual decline. And 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 sometimes you think, God, how, how much darker does it have to get? How much of a decline do we have to go to or through before you will show up and begin to do some new things? I don't have an answer on that one, but I know that God is the one who does show up, and I long for him to do that. So let, for a few minutes, what is that fresh move of God? What is it? Let me give you a couple definitions that I've encountered along the way. You, you, you probably don't have that, so we're, we'll get to those fill-in-the-blank things in a minute. But just a couple observations. Charles Finney is a revivalist or a, a preacher uh, who is often hooked on to revival. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he, he described it this way. It is nothing else but the beginning of a new obedience to God. Just as in the case of a converted sinner, the first step is a deep repentance, the breaking down of the heart, a getting down into the dust before God with deep humility, and a forsaking of sin. Charles Finney's definition of this fresh move of God, the beginning of a new obedience to God. I, I like that uh, because it, it provides room for us to always understand that God is always looking for us to obey him, and it begins as quickly as the first step of obedience. J. Edwin Orr is another person who has written and written extensively on the subject of revival. And he says, the best definition of revival is summed up in the phrase, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. That comes from the book of Acts. And uh, we came across that phrase. We may not have dwelled along on it. But uh, it, it's a part of the material we've already covered. The times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Jeffrey King, in his book called Rend the Heavens, says, Revival is a sovereign act of God upon the church, whereby he intervenes to lift the situation completely out of human hands and works in extraordinary power. 
Now, uh, I have no doubt that there are a number of churches in the Eastern PA district that can benefit immensely from a fresh move of God. I, I just think he longs to do that. And it doesn't make a difference how large or small they are. Um, because God longs to move his people, regardless of the critical mass of those people, into a closer place of obedience before him. So we're going to look at some of the things that are related to that. Uh, how, how does that fresh move of God happen? What, what are some of the things related to that? Well, first one is this. The fresh move of God begins on a crystal clear basis. Now, whenever I use the phrase crystal clear, for some people, they'll automatically go to a movie of the past. And it's the movie A Few Good Men with... Uh, huh? Uh... Yeah, but I want the general. The Jack Nicholson. Okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I shouldn't get distracted by that. But the point is, if you rem if you remember anything in that movie, in terms of uh, uh, there's this dialogue that goes between Tom Cruise and the general, and in which uh, there's this back and forth and bantering that's going on, and. Uh, and, it, and there's this line that comes out, do you want the truth? You can't handle the truth kind of thing. And are we clear on that? Crystal. Crystal clear. So there, there's a crystal clear basis for this fresh move of God. The beginning of verse 14, which is really the heart of this whole message, says, if my people who are called by my name. It begins on the basis of a relationship, my people, my people. Revival, renewal, fresh move of God is not for unconverted. It is for his people. He, it's not that God doesn't want people who are not converted to experience the presence of God. It, but, but in this one, it's, he's saying, my people. And I know that God loves all the people of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. And I, I know that, that his heart is in But he has his heart is for his people. He longs to do something new and fresh among us today. But there's a basis for that work. And, and that first part, it begins on the basis of a relationship. It's not, it's not just... Going to church is not being a member role, role on a member, a member on a role of a church. It, it, it begins with a relationship that God has with his people. God has a relationship with you and me. And he longs to have that be intimate and cultivate that relationship. We, we do things to kind of nourish the spiritual life of our heart. The spiritual life is not an optional lifestyle. It's a divine obligation. When the Spirit of God indwells us by faith and his Spirit comes in, when we receive Christ as personal Savior, this, we have the earnest of the Spirit, as the Ephesians talks about, and we have the presence of the Spirit of God. When that happens, when that habitation of God begins, it puts us in connection with God, in relationship with him, and we have an opportunity to be people who are in who are connected with God. That's an amazing privilege. You and I get to be 
sons and daughters of God. It, it's a relationship that we have. And it's not like, oh, yeah, I know about so-and-so. It's, I know God. And you, and, and there, you may not know him as well as you really want to know him, but there's more of him that can be known. But it begins with relationship. Uh, let me just, uh, let me illustrate. This season at our Christmas had a new piece for our family because the oldest grand, our oldest granddaughter, uh, uh, several months ago, posted on Facebook that she and her friend Robert are in a relationship, and I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I, I just thought maybe they were friends, and, and maybe they are. We had to have the chiropractor explain to us what that meant, you know, because she's groovy, you know. Well, that's probably not, but but whatever. She she's she's in the know of all that kind of thing. So. So this Christmas, Robert came to our family gathering. And uh, uh, so we were all quite intrigued and curious, you know. My, my one son-in-law says, well, who's, who's going to be the good cop, bad cop thing? How are we going to find out what this guy is about? You know, and you kind of go after a few things. Uh, and Robert, it, 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 we, we got to meet him before this event, and, and, that, and that was fine. Um, but there are things that we will probably find out about Robert in course of time uh, because we are developing relationship with him. I don't know. I don't know a lot about Robert. I know some things now I didn't know before, but, but there's a relationship that's being established there, and we'll get to know Robert better, uh, and, and, it re- and it begins in relationship once we get connected then those things get developed beyond that. So there's that. that's the basis uh, for that. It, it, it begins, this renewal, this refreshment of God begins on the basis of relationship, but it continues on the basis of responsibility. So there's an additional word. If my people, the ones called by my name, we, un- we have to understand that we are people who, who are called by God into relationship. But, but that involves a responsibility. To, uh, in, in John 15, Jesus would say, if you abide in the vine, you know, you abide in me and I abide in you. And there's a responsibility we have to remain connected. What happens when, when, when things get disconnected in terms of plants or, or the vine and the branches kind of thing? Things begin to wither and die. I, uh, a plant that you have and try to cultivate or nurture in your house, it will uh, it will only survive as long as it's connected. If I rip something out of that root structure or that bulb or whatever, it's just going to wilt. And and in in our responsibility here in this fresh move of God, we've got to have this crystal clear concept and basis in our mind. It begins on the basis of relationship and it continues on issues or the basis of responsibility. We are we don't simply just kind of come to church, go to church. We are the church and we need to be in connection with God and allow him to work in us and through us and do new and fresh things among us. So the fresh move of God has to start with that basis. It, it moves further, however, 
that fresh move of God includes an essential burden. And, and when you get into the end of verse 14 or, or further on into verse 14, you find little words that are used, little phrases that are part of that. And the primary focus in that essential burden is summed up in a single word. And this is not to come as a surprise to you. It's not the first time that we've talked about this subject, but it is clearly the one that is important, and that is the word prayer. It's prayer. I can't, I, I, you can't get away from it. I don't care how large or small the church is. If there is not this burden of prayer, the church is destined to either just maintain some things or else die. That place of prayer has to be a priority for us. So let me let me say a few things. It's expressed here in the in the bulk, in the brokenness of prayer, the brokenness of prayer, where 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 Solomon says, or God says to, to his people, if my people will humble themselves, will humble themselves. It's it's hard for us to kind of do that. We, we have to acknowledge and admit our inability to fix things and just figure things out. There's this sense of brokenness. Uh, there, there's a uh, oh, there's a there's a lot of preachers I could reference, but uh, Alan Redpath was one uh, again almost a generation ago, um, who talked about in his study in Second Corinthians, uh, or used the phrase he talked about the blessedness of brokenness, the blessedness. Of brokenness. I'm sure Tozer probably talked about that, and, and a, a number of other a number of other preachers, teachers. Brokenness. We have a song that we sing from time to time. Uh, brokenness, brokenness is what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. And we don't like to be broken people, but brokenness brings us to the place where we realize it's not about me and I can't figure this thing out and God has to break things inside of me. Sometimes it's my will. It's just my will to, I'm going to want my own way, I'm going to do my own thing and God sometimes has to shake a few things in order for that to occur. That prayer burden is expressed in brokenness. Humble ourselves. It's expressed also in the selflessness of prayer. If my people pray, um, I know that uh, you can schedule a seven o'clock Wednesday prayer time. And I know there's nothing necessarily magical, like that's the only time it can happen. Or, or, but I would say to you, unless you are finding the place of prayer, and there's the, certainly the value of the corporate gathering together. Unless you're finding that place of prayer in your own life and world, um, you run the risk of just kind of going through motions. And it's not selfless. It's You're just living your life. You don't need that. You don't need that peace. And if you don't need that peace, that's kind of selfish. I don't need God. I, I believe that there's this selflessness when I give myself to the privilege and opportunity to pray personally and corporately as well. It's also expressed 
in the earnestness of prayer, there's another word that I would use to describe this burden, earnestness, if my people seek my face. There's a phrase, seek my face. It's, it's one thing to just kind of say, oh, I know God, but it, it, or, or I know somebody. It's another thing to, to, to be very intentional. Now, let me come back to poor Robert, uh, the granddaughter's friend. Uh, he, had, he, he probably had to endure some amount of rigor in questioning this time through. Tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of thing. And there were more than a few times where I found myself in conversations with him in which uh, some information, where they just wanted to get to know him. So it wasn't like we sat him down and now we're going to do the Spanish Inquisition. It, was, it wasn't that quite intense, you know, it wasn't that kind of thing. But, but I found some of the family members, uh, and, and at least in a couple of cases, it was a couple of the son-in-laws, they were just kind of checking in, you know, and saying, so tell me about you. How did you come to know the Lord? Tell me about your family. Uh, and so you find out a little bit of information, and sometimes some conversation comes along, and pretty soon another family member comes along, and they're part of it. And pretty soon there's two or three more, and, you know, it's just kind of how that uh, works. But but it, it was, it was, there was uh, a genuine concern and care, a genuine love, but they were earnest in this issue. They wanted to know more about Robert. And so there was there was the kind of seek my face thing. You, you don't find that answer by watching a football game. You find the answer by engaging someone, by dialogue with them. And there's the earnestness. If my people, the ones called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, Seek my face. That's an expression of that burden. One final piece that just kind of flows right next. It's expressed in the holiness of prayer. If my people turn from their wicked ways. Now I know that in Christ we are forgiven. All of our sin is dealt with. Past, present, future. It doesn't mean that since it's already dealt with, I can just do what I will and nilly want. It means that we need to be people who understand the call of God upon us. And the call of God upon us is, to use an Old Testament phrase, be ye holy because I am holy. That's one of the wonderful things about the message of the Alliance is it talks about Christ not only as our Savior, but right below there, linked on, is our sanctifier. He longs for us to be holy. Doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means there's a heart in us that really wants to know God and wants to live Christ-like in our life. And that's the heart and the burden that comes in this particular message and this particular verse of Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14. If my people, the ones called by my name, will humble themselves in their brokenness, will pray in their selflessness, will seek my face and be earnest in that, and will turn from their wicked ways in the holiness where we turn from sin and to God. Then something is promised, and that's what you get in the last part of this verse. The fresh move of God contains an extraordinary blessing. We can talk about burden, and we can talk about we can talk about the basis of relationship, but here it's talking about the blessing. And I think 
I think as Christ followers, we want to get that. We want that blessing. Like, like, uh, like uh, Isaac blessing his children. And we long for that. We long for that. We want the good stuff of this relationship. But it doesn't come just automatically. There's a process. And, and there's that basis. You've got to be in relationship with God. There's got to be a burden in terms of your passion for God. And when that occurs, then this blessing comes. And there's the blessing, uh, verse 14, uh, the end of it says, there's the blessing of his favor. If you will do those things, then will I hear from heaven. It's interesting in the story, as the verses that started in verse 13, he, the scriptures say, God speaking says, when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, or command locusts to devour the, the land, or send a plague among my people. And it's almost like God, it's almost a picture is there of God who is intentionally causing something to happen that's adverse toward us in order to get our attention. And that doesn't mean God's mean and he's sitting up there with a magnifying glass looking to burn your ant-like feelers off. I don't think that's the picture. I, I, think, I think it's that God allows things to happen for purpose. And sometimes things happen on our journey in order that he might capture our attention. What has, what has been part of your life and journey? This is a rhetorical question right now. What has been a part of your life and journey that God used to get your attention? And there can be all kinds of things. There can be loss of family members, husband, wife, child, incidents, accidents, traumas. And, and you can probably go to you can probably go and find one right now because they're fresh. It could happen years ago, and you feel it. You feel it. Those kinds of things are just kind of, whoa. It's like, it's like uh, I mentioned one other time uh, our oldest daughter had been in a sledding accident, uh, and it was at a point in time when she was not really pressing hard into God, as we could read that. And this accident occurred, and she experienced a close skull fracture. We didn't know if she was going to make it or not. It, I, I don't think I don't think I wouldn't say God saw she was far farther away than He wanted, and so He He moved the sled so it hit a tree. I, 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 there's something wrong in that theology too, but I think in that whole situation where there's the willfulness of a person to kind of not be all that interested in God, and when something happens. They suddenly realize, hmm, yeah, I guess I haven't been paying attention. And so it, here is the blessing of his favor. Even in the midst of the hard stuff that can come, he says, I will hear from heaven. In other words, God is not far from us. We need to be closer to him. Someone has said that revival is not some emotion or worked up excitement. Sometimes we think about that in terms of, Revivals, and if you ever do a study on history of revivals, in, 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 in even in America, uh, it, great awakenings is the phrase that often are used in the history of our country, where where there was a first great awakening, a second great awakening, and and there are revival experiences that happen where where 
that that sense of the presence of God fills the place and all the people fall on their face before the presence of God becomes so thick and you sense it so greatly that you know you just kind of like oh God I can rec- I can remember as a young person going to Edinburgh camp which is one of our district camps well I, I, at that point in time it was Western PA so it was one of their district camps I remember going to one of those summer camps as a young person I was in high school I know. And, and the, the, whoever the preacher was, I can't remember. Uh, it might have been Fred Yearsley. I was now with the Lord. Uh, whoever the guy was, was preaching on the personal work of the Holy Spirit. We went back to our cabins. And there was this sense in which uh, I, I sensed the presence of God. And the counselor was there, a couple other guys. And I said, oh, I said, I just feel such a sense of the presence of God and conviction I'm saying I need to get that business squared away before him. And it was that there was the weight of that. But God longs, but it's not, it's not ecstatic, emotional excitement all the time. It's rather, someone has said, it's an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. I'll use that phrase. There's an invasion from heaven that brings us a conscious awareness of God. I think that's what I long for for City Light Church. I think that's what God longs for on the basis of 2 Chronicles 7. There's the blessing of his favor and there's the blessing of his fellowship. He will forgive their sins. God is continuing to keep us in relationship to him. And he longs to have us Live a life that's clean before him. And, and, and again, we're not talking about sinlessness, but there may be something of God where we sin less when we begin to press into him. There's that move toward, toward God, the blessing of his fellowship. And then there's the blessing of fruitfulness. He says, I, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. What is the area that needs to be healed in your world? What are the things that that you need to experience that touch of God in order that you might be whole? Whenever we experience illness, we long to be able to come to the place of wholeness. Um, past week in, in for us in Pittsburgh, some of the kids came in and they've got a cough. Pretty soon, several people ended up with essentially laryngitis. They're just soft-spoken. And for some, it was wonderful. <laughs> As it diminished the noise level a little bit on 24 people. You know, just, but, but, but there, there, that, that came, there came a point. So we did a lot of honey, lemon, and garlic beverages to try to soothe things and create some healing and help. And, and I'm sure that that will continue on as, as the days move ahead. But there was that place of healing. Is, and in this particular picture, in terms of the blessing of God, not only his favor, not only fellowship that we have with him, but fruitfulness as well, there will be a healing of the land. There will be a healing in our world, in our journey. So here's a couple questions just in this. Chew on that. So what's the greatest need in our church today? What's the greatest need of City Light Church 
it, it may not be we need to have more bodies to fill up the seats. That may be helpful. But our primary need is, God, what do you want to do in my life? And what am I, what am I open to? Am I really hungry for? Am I really thirsty for? We sang some of that stuff. Hungering for you, thirsting for you. Is that in there? What's the greatest need in our personal life? And I believe that the answer for both of those is found in this declaration of God's word. The fresh move of God throughout history is just that, fresh. It's something new. And I don't know how it's going to work in this current generation. It may be, it may be in some ways a different way that the train comes through than what maybe I think it should happen. I don't know how it's going to work. I, I, we told you about our experience going to this this uh, Christmas presentation that we were down in Virginia. It's really different. I'm just kind of like, God, where are you in this? And yet you could see it happening and begin to wonder, God, how is it? How are you going to connect with all these people? Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, Gen whatever. You know, pick it up. Uh, how are you going to capture their hearts and attention? And I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm praying that God will be at work and he'll be set loose to work in the lives of people at City Light Church, or churches across Wilkesboro, churches across Harrisburg area. It, but it must be in the must be the encounter with God on His terms, and that's what Two Chronicles seven fourteen says. If my people, the ones who are called by the man my name, will humble themselves and pray, will seek my face, will turn from their wicked ways, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hear from heaven. I'm going to forgive their sin. I'm going to heal their land. And God longs to do a thorough work within each one of us. For 2020-2020, when we begin a new decade, the fresh move of God is essential. And I don't care if I was preaching in City Light Church or any other church. The message is still the same. We've got to come to him in order that we might experience that fresh move of God. There's no shortcut. Uh, it, it won't come without our participation and certainly needs our cooperation with God. Now, Father, um, everything that the world has to offer isn't going to be the solution for our need. It's going to come from you and your word says that blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And you can do that in a place of small beginnings. You can do that. So not only this day, but even as we move into this new year, and perhaps we'll be making the time or taking the time to reflect on what you've done in the past, but what you would long to do in our hearts in days ahead. May we, may we invest well in those moments of reflection. And may we hear your word to us that if this people, the ones being called by your name, will humble themselves, will seek your face. If we'll move in that direction, then 
things begin to happen. You begin to move. And times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. May the sweet spirit of God continue to, to dwell over us and within us, to draw us to yourself. We'll thank you for what you'll do, and we give you praise for your goodness to us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be very gracious to you. May you experience the smile of heaven and his peace. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Go in his grace. Be sure you greet one another as you go.